Not Gabe, David, Welcome. David, David. Wow. Um, wow, Danny. I'm, t- dude. I'm telling you, man. Some of the people, some of the people, the 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 messages people are sending to me about being interested in my room doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even doesn't even make sense anymore. I've gotten so many people who are just sort of like, oh, I'm, uh, you know, they, I'll, I'll put my my room on Craigslist and be like, this is how much the rent is. If you want to move in, this is what this, you know, this is that, um, all these little details guy gets back to me the other day. And all he says in the reply to the Craigslist ad was just, um, I'm interested. What the fuck am I supposed, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that, buddy? Come on, man. It'd be cool. Not, it, it'd be cool if you got a response from someone who's like, "I am the Prince of Zamunda, but I'm undercover because I want to find a a, br- a bride who loves me for who I am, not for my royalty." <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I, this... I want an apartment that is really shitty, and you're like, "Well, come on in to my horrible, horrible apartment," and they're like, "This is perfect." Yeah, I would like to, a nice coming to America situation with that. Uh, at this point, honestly, it would be better if somebody replied to my Craigslist ad and just said, I'm not interested. Because then I would just be like, okay, that's it. Easy to, <laughs> like, yeah. I gave you, you gave me inf- honest information and I uh, accept it. I accept it. <laughs> I, all right. That's, all right. That, is, that is it. That's great. Um, yeah. Do you, would you prefer that people just ignore you or would you prefer that people like outright reject you? And I ask you this knowing that it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, happy, 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 uh, happy heart day for everybody. Uh, uh, happy. No, uh, I, uh, dude, I just want people. I don't think I. it's almost a false dichotomy to me because I don't I re- I don't like being rejected, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm an adult enough to right. be like when when somebody says, dude, when somebody says the sort of like, you know, edgy comic thing, just sort of like. Dude, just tell me to my face. All right, just tell me to my face. All right, so we could we could get through this like men. It's like or whatever. If you tell something to their face, like they, they don't they don't like that. They yeah. they they do not like that. So I'm not gonna be the guy who's just like, look, I just want that honesty. I just want the it's like, just just level just level with me. You could you could be polite and also level with somebody, right. and you know that can come in the form of being like. Hey, it's pretty unlikely that I'm gonna get this room. There's an outside chance, but it's it's unlikely. And I'm like, okay, I can do right. something with that, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they're just like, hey, I like really want to live here, uh, but I have to go feed my cat for the next year, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna be a little busy feeding my cat, uh, so I can't live. Yeah, here. just be honest, yeah. you know. Just tell 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 you what you really want to hear, you know. Yeah, it, it there's it uh, and like the weird part is how many people have just been like I am I am ready to move in. All right? Uh would it be possible for my girlfriend to move in in a, in a year or uh I have this requirement or this and I'm like, yeah, all right. And then no, they just don't they just don't. <laughs> it's so strange. Do you think that if you had said no, like they would have liked it more because you're playing hard to get? If you had been, because like, I'm like, yeah, been like a little, I'm, I'm, I'm just cucking them, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm saying no, you know. Uh, yeah, they would have liked that, maybe. 
I'm like, one of the ooh, ooh, the rent is crazy high, and my girlfriend can't move in. Uh, he, this must be a really good place, you know? Like, this uh, is <laughs> <be>. <laughs> dude, what? Uh, here's a little, here's a little insight into my life. Actually, uh, my old roommate. Actually, no, all of the roommates that I have, it's not really singled out to the my last, my previous roommate, but my room is the one that's farther away from the bathroom. Yeah. So uh, what would happen is, like, you know, if, if the other person needed to go to the bathroom first, just by sheer proximity, they usually got to it first. So what ended up happening is, like, I basically used the kitchen sink as, like, a... Um, toothpaste like toothbrush area like it's pretty yeah. minimal <laughs> pee, it's like you used to it, pee in the sink that's what you're saying you yeah sure sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh but like i so i got one of those like you know that that little japanese store muji that sells oh, all the yeah little, like, yeah yeah i got one of their tiny little toothbrush holders that's, i like, have the size one of, yeah it's oh my god donut. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i got one of those i put it on the sink and just put my toothbrush there and like a, uh, some toothpaste because often one of my roommates would like be using the bathroom and I was just like, you know, I'll just, you know, when I need to clean my teeth, I'll just do it here, you know, because they're often there. And one of the people who looked at my apartment was just sort of like, they were like, oh, um, if I move in, could you do that in the bathroom? And I was just sort of like, oh, okay, whatever. Absolutely not. Ne ne never heard, never heard back from them. Never heard back. <laughs> like, you know, actually, okay. <laughs> So I'm going to be so think about it this way, though. Like, why don't we brush our teeth in the kitchen? Because the kitchen sink is where the food like the mouth's activity goes on. You know, the mouth and the food, you know, like this is all the toothbrush should should go hand in hand with eating because this is all yeah. this. This is this is this. I'm I'm looking at my face. You know, this is all David is just areas. David. David is like drawing circles around his mouth. Yeah, to gesticulating. Is, yeah, yeah, this is the this is the mouth zone. And this is the, the food kitchen, zone. This the, is the food zone. No, 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 no. The kitchen is the mouth zone because it's food and brushing your teeth, and maybe it because and then you have the poop zone, which is the bathroom, and you shouldn't be doing mouth stuff in the poop zone. <laughs> You know Welcome to Ponzi up? Scream, everyone. All <laughs> no, right, no, no, you, no. You, you know what? You know what's fucked up? You're right. <laughs> that's that's yeah. <laughs> Although now you have given me the really uh, fantastic visual of somebody just like sitting in their kitchen sink taking a dump in it, which would be really funny. Mm. Just like that that visual of somebody with like a, a newspaper, like <laughs> do you do you mind? <laughs> You're like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Oh, I clogged it again. Oh man. <laughs> oh my god. god the, the, these these, these <laughs> pipes are so terrible. They're just they're these old pipes, you know. No, no, that's why you use the food the 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 food pro the 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 the, right, the, right. the garbage the disposal <laughs> the, the disposal. On. This is this took we we went too we went too far down the sinkhole on this one. Welcome to Ponds. Yeah, yeah. My name's David Bradley Eisenberg. Uh DBF here. Uh hanging out. Uh, yeah. I is your middle name B? What's your middle? What's your middle name? My middle name? Right. Oh, yeah, that's... you've told me this before. I have, but this time I won't. Wow! <laughs> As a secret, today, it's a secret. Today we've got it's a secret today. Today we've got a secret episode. 
Uh, <laughs> it's an episode we're not going to tell you about. So that's the that's the show, everyone. But well, thanks for but, listening but in. But my med- my middle initial my middle initial is B. So short, short, yeah, short for Braden. Uh, so that would be weird. We're uh, talking about a couple different things that we're going to thread together a little bit. Um, it's all about public versus private, and we're going to talk about public companies versus private companies because this is it's um this is not exactly an episode that's tied to like specific crime. Well, there's some crime in here. We're going to get to that, but we're going to start off with um something that I've been doing a lot of because if you're a financial journalist or um, a total uh, cool guy, you know that right around now, beginning of the year, is earnings season where a lot of companies report their 2020 mm-hmm. earnings, profits, losses, all that sort of stuff. And they do that because they're a publicly traded company and they're required to do that under the rules of the Securities and Exchange Commission. If you are a public company, you got to do that. But uh, private companies can kind of, eh, they, they can. They- but they don't. They could be see. They could be a little secret about it. Mm-hmm. You know. They don't. They really- could be more secret. They don't like it. But uh, so first, <clears throat> we're gonna look at Uber and Lyft, which is um our our two sponsors of Fonzie Scream. And oh yeah, that's U- right. Uber and Lyft are getting less unprofitable. With a hilarious headline. Uh, shout out to the <laughs> yeah. shout out to the Verge and whoever is editing Andrew Hawkins's work. Uh. Uber and Lyft are getting less unprofitable. Less unprofitable. <laughs> <laughs> Truly very much like a roommate situation where you're like, did you clean the kitchen? And then they're just like, I cleaned my room. It's like, uh, not <laughs> the, ki- <laughs> the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for people who are unaware, um, you know, Uber, Lyft, ride sharing companies at large, They've been in our lives for nigh on a decade at this point, you know, uh, pretty much been here since about 2010 ish, 2011, really became part of the popular culture around 2011, 2012, something like and, that Got became a big deal. And, uh, you know, I they're everywhere. They're pervasive. You know, they've invaded um, every element of our life uh, and municipalities even if those municipalities don't want them. So you would not be wrong to think, oh, well, these companies, they must, uh, they must have some pretty financial steadiness. They, might, they must be doing pretty Neither pretty of them have ever turned a profit. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. Uber and Lyft, they ever. both, they've always lost money. And it's just like, well, Danny, sometimes I lose like 20 bucks here and there like how much could they have possibly lost over the entire year uber reported a net loss of 6.7 billion (laughs) dollars over the entire 2020 but down slightly from the (laughs) 8.5 billion it lost in 2019 oh brother this guy stinks lyft lost 458 million last quarter but it lost a billion point eight over the entire 2020 but it lost 2.6 billion in 2019 baby steps they're you getting know? there they're getting, I'm getting closer there. they're getting closer to losing less money uh yeah I mean, yeah and I mean, for and, and if anybody thinks lyft is like a, somehow a more noble company they're just smaller 
So it's purport it's 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 proportional to to Uber. Yeah. Uh and we at Ponzi Scream think that anyone who makes money is noble. And these guys are clearly the most evil cats around. Uh but I mean it's just I'm an amazing re- reminder that Prop twenty two, a combined for one state law, they spent a combined over two hundred and four million dollars in order to stop this. Really Uber Lyft and then DoorDash and Grubhub and all the other... I don't know if Grubhub was really that involved in it, but DoorDash and Instacart and all these guys spent that much money to do that, and they still lost so much freaking money. So what's also kind of amazing about it is that they... The, I mean, the reason why they lost less money uh, was, a, was a couple explanations uh, th- that they provided. On the Uber side, they cut costs in some areas they sold their autonomous vehicle program which was just a total scam and a marketing ploy so like i get it mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and they they bought postmates and so uber eats did well uber eats actually did very well uh this past year because of the pandemic right they they did do incredibly well uh as a person who literally delivers for Uber Eats, I can tell you right now, um, it was busy. Uh, more probably more on that later. Like, the, the no, I, I it's like can I can I sort of explain Uber Eats' whole thing now? Like that tax thing I was telling you about. Yeah. Oh, and to clarify, they still didn't make profit. Uber Eats still didn't make profit. <laughs> 20, no, 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 20. no, 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 no. Prop, prop. You're gonna want to take the entire idea of profits. You're, throw that out the window. Yeah. You don't want to, you, you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Their um their whole uh Uber Eats did better, but I'll tell you right now from a personal standpoint, still incredibly shady all of the stuff they did. Like right now, you know, like David said, it is uh Valentine's Day, which means we are, you know, coming up on tax season, okay? Oh yeah. People are filing people are filing stuff. And if you are like me, if you are one of the hundreds of millions of independent contractors mm-hmm. in the United States, what are you anticipating from one of your 17 jobs? A miscellaneous, a 1099 miscellaneous, all right? Yo, we, we, you, you know it, you love it. What is it not? A W-2, all right? No. <laughs> is, that your, is, is that the job you're part of? Fuck no. No, it's a 1099, all right? Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it's uh, it's your secret family that you send a box of chocolates to on <laughs> Valentine's Day, but otherwise you do not acknowledge them. All right. That, so I I love the idea that that's the thing that that dad that like secret dads do. They only reach out to them on Valentine's Day. It's like oh, <laughs> I get Christmas and Thanksgiving with my first family, but my secret family, I I get I get Valentine's Day with my secret family. You are the ones that I actually love. Uh, <laughs> No, it's a it's a a weird little tax thing where it's just you know again it means you're designated not an employee so mm-hmm. you're you're miscellaneous so come to find me being very surprised when I look in the old Uber app and I don't have a 1099 miscellaneous what I have is something called a 1099 NEC NEC non employment compensation all right. So I look at that and I think to myself, that's kind of weird. 
whatever. It's probably just a new form designation. IRS does this kind of stuff all the time. Look in that form. And uh, for context, I did about $6,000 worth of the delivery on Uber uh, over a couple months last year, all right? I only got $1,300 listed on that NEC. And I'm thinking to myself, this is weird. This is really strange. Why is this so much less? Because this is going to cause me so many weird little tax problems if I file this incorrectly, essentially. Look on the internet. Really hard to figure out. Come to find, Uber has also issued me something called a tax summary. It is not a legal tax document. But it sort of explains some of those numbers a little bit more. It shows me that $6,000 designation. But then under one area, it says bonuses and or promotions. Because as you may know, Uber will offer promotions if you deliver a certain amount of deliveries in a time span. So if you deliver three over the course of like 5 to 10 p.m., uh, you'll get an extra $10, all right? Turns out that smaller number, that was on the 1099 NEC, it's all just the extras, the bonuses, the promotions, all that. And that's because that's the only money that Uber is willing to designate that they actually pay you from a sort of 1099 standpoint. Because in order for them to create these bonuses, they have to pay you. Those bonuses come from them. But all of the money that you make via delivering food, all that they try to designate as a transaction between you and the customer, essentially. So they don't don't want to be a part of that, essentially, which gets things even more complicated because if you make more than $20,000 via Uber, uh, you don't get a 1099 NEC anymore. You get a 1099K. What the fuck is a 1099K? A 1099K is a specific type of form that wasn't even designed for uh, Uber. It was designed for payment processors like uh, PayPal or Stripe oh, or something. Oh, dude, okay, crazy thing that they're trying yeah. to become a bank instead of becoming an employer. That's cr- that's like... No, yeah, it. You, David knows where I'm going on this. The, they would the, rather they be are... a fintech firm than they would be an employer. Yeah, they they because and this is the this is the shady part. This is how we kind of come into it because it's this whole thing where Uber is basically like we are not a delivery company. We are a technologies company. All right. right? Their their name is Uber Technologies Incorporated if right. I'm not mistaken. Right. And the 1099K form, it is more like David said, it is more to designate. Uh, it was invented, I believe, in 2008 because what would happen pre the financial crisis, if you were like an eBay person, like you bought stuff and then you sold it on eBay or whatever, you know, you could make a profit that way, but that all that money, it would go untaxed. So the government was basically like, well, we want access to the people's bank accounts in those ways, or we want access to that information in such a way that we can see those statements. So the 1099K was invented as a way of basically um, making those transactions whole 
in the IRS's oh. world. I mean, so yeah. if you had more than two hundred transactions on your eBay store, or you made more than twenty and you made more than twenty thousand dollars, then you were issued, you know, that kind of form in that case. So that's what that form is for. But Uber is like, no, no, no. That form, that form's also for us because we don't. We're not a delivery company. We are a technologies company. Com- a technologies company. So it's basically just another weird way that they're trying to just sort of get out of the fray of being like, no, 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 this is not, we're not, you guys, we're not, we're not. And the thing (laughs) is, is that they have every incentive in the goddamn world to do so because they have never made money and they Mm -hmm. vigorously fought Prop 22 because it could have cut into their core business model, but their core business model has never worked. It's never proven to actually be to and look we all like it this is all something that everyone uses if you use it you're not a bad person you are responding you're a rational actor responding to incentives in an irrational system so you don't feel bad if you go uber or whatever but fundamentally the model that they're using isn't even working from a financial standpoint and it's clearly not working for the workers perspective either um What's amazing? It, pa- about- it, it pass. It passes the buck. It continually yeah. passes the buck. And yeah. to and David, you are a bad person if you if I deliver a pizza to you and you say, "Oh, I delivered on the app," and then later on the app, I saw that you tipped one dollar. Okay, you're you're I tipped on the app. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a bad person. Um, yeah, that's a real that's a real <laughs> bad person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's amazing is they uh, still impose fees. This is, this is from a different article that we talked about. Is uh, This is from Eater by uh, Jaya Saxena uh, and from last month, right? So one thing that uh, this is talking about is, you know, who is paying for the great delivery wars. And ultimately, what they're kind of end up becoming, the business model, you know, you think about, okay, they're not a, um, they're not really an employer. They don't want to be. But they're also these companies, uh, like the delivery service companies, they are essentially trying to broker the delivery independent contractors and the restaurants, okay? But they have the access to both of those two things. They are the sole interlocutor between those, uh, apparently. I mean, that, that's not necessarily true. So a restaurant can hire someone. And there's starting to be some other business models that are kind of developing on a very small scale. But really what they're trying to do is to act like a broker. And because a broker is in all circumstances, in real estate and finance, and in this situation, all a broker is is just a useless intermediary that has connections. Yeah, okay? yeah. That's a, that, that, it, that is literally what a broker does. That They are the person that says, I have a connection to some form of revenue, some form of capital, some form of business development, and I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to sell it for a fee. And that's the whole thing. That's like, you don't, when you call your stockbroker, okay, you could, in theory, just call the company and say, I want to buy this many shares of your company. But no one does that, and that's not really an accessible way to invest. You have to call a stockbroker to do it. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's like Bernie Sanders going to the fucking Met market and being like, I need to return this piece of fruit. Yeah, <laughs> it's def- it's defective. It's defective. Technically, you could do it, but it, it nobody even knows how to deal with it. <laughs> right, and so um, in 
the world of real estate, yeah, if you can find the landlord's phone number, good luck. But in the meantime, you find a, a real estate broker who's going to be the intermediary that has access to either buying the place or renting the place, right? To forming that business, business relationship. Grubhub, Uber Eats, all of these people, yes, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you could get delivery by just calling the restaurant, right? But they are trying to be a broker because allegedly it is cheaper to have a broker uh, intermediate the relationship between the customer and the delivery res delivering restaurant uh, rather than hiring delivery people to do so. And that has proven true up until recently. And now the thing about a broker is that they always have a rather they're occupying a rather exploitative position um they can charge excessive fees there's no other real way to get around it if anyone yeah. who's in a brokerage position can charge excessive fees and there are rules about it in finance there are rules about it in real estate and there are starting to be rules about it in the world of uh, delivery and that's kind of starting to become a thing because now you can't even really call the restaurant anymore and get delivery because they're still can charge you. This is from the eater uh, article. They can apparently still charge you for making a phone call. So the restaurants, they're going to charge yeah. fees for you just calling the phone number that's listed on the app. Okay. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's extremely exploitative, uh, certainly. And then the other weird thing about it too is that um i can tell you from personal experience that you know um uber or grubhub or any of these delivery apps they would probably counter by saying like well we're giving all this exposure to this you know this uh this restaurant you know like right. it's, it's incredibly visible by being in this position but I'm here to tell you, as I've probably explained multiple times before, dude, I'm sorry. Some restaurants, they're not smart enough to actually get their delivery set up correctly. Like, I'm telling you right now, I have been in positions where, like, I am at a restaurant and I am picking up food and they have a stack of receipts from Uber Eats, from Grubhub, whatever, and they are just not done with them they have not made those you know dishes or whatever and i can even i'll take away sort of my like sass with it and my judgment and just say that like their infrastructure isn't set up to take on that many orders so what happens when you have a small time restaurant that is ill-equipped to deal with a glut of orders it slows down who does that affect it affects the customer who is the people? Who are the people that uh, Uber Eats and Grubhub and what have you are are purporting to help? It affects them. Who else is affected? The delivery person, because then they're stuck at a place. And if you decide, well, I don't want to do this order from them, then you sort of face the weird, ambiguous situation where maybe you say, I'm canceling on this delivery too many times, and then you're just banned from their app right. all of a sudden. Right. You know. It makes uh, it, it, it's it's always passing the buck on to the you know not Uber essentially right. So it's like they will attract a restaurant by saying you don't have to have empl delivery employees anymore, mm -hmm. and you will be able to get it done through that. 
and it will be cheaper for that reason because you won't have to pay for their health care. You don't have to pay for their overtime. You don't have to pay for their unemployment insurance, loss, risk of lawsuits, all that sort of stuff. And all that's true. But the in exchange, they will charge exorbitant fees that are redundant and don't really mean anything. The types of fees that they will be, I mean, like there's, uh, let's see, marketing commission they'll offer. They will charge delivery fees, subscription fees, and commission fees, and processing fees per transaction. Uh, all of those things are totally fair game. This The municipality of Chicago tried to pass a law that restricted those fees, and then they just charged what's called a Chicago fee. <laughs> Chicago fee, yeah, you got your fucking pizza that's a, a goddamn <laughs> marinara soup bowl. Uh, Chicago <laughs> fee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The Bears charge fees, and they... <laughs> So DoorDash instated this what's called like a Chicago fee. Um, so ultimately, it's is it really going to end up being worth it? And then they have a, com- uh, a a lot of control over how the company even operates. They'll put the company on the site without their permission, even if they mm-hmm. don't offer delivery. Sometimes they'll put it on the website. Um, and all of this stuff ha- that was alleged that if Prop Twenty Two passed, then things would be incredibly expensive. But Prop Twenty Two passed. I Prop 20 did, did pass. Prop 22 passed. California de- delivery workers are still independent contractors. And it has already led to layoffs in the state. And there are delivery services adding fees that they threatened yeah. would only happen if Prop 22 didn't pass. They raised fees anyway. Yeah. it's uh, There's truly no way... Uh, to tr- like actually opt out of it, and like I said, it really gets passed on. Like you mentioned very briefly, that there are restaurants that they're like, okay, we're out. We don't offer delivery. We do not want to offer delivery. But somehow they make their way onto these apps. And again, I will tell you from personal experience, that is a terrible move for the delivery people. Because if you're a delivery person that's not employed by a restaurant and you go to a place saying like, hey, I'm picking up this order for this person, they fucking hate you. They don't want you to be there. Oftentimes you are an immigrant or, you know, a person of color or what have you who like, you know, maybe doesn't have the best grasp of English. You're going to a place and all of a sudden you're at some fancy like French West Village restaurant and they're yelling at you and you don't know why. And it's just, and you're just like trying to make a buck, essentially doing right. this thing because you're you're following the rules of Uber or Lyft or Uber or Lyft or whatever, you know. And you're just like, why is this person angry at me? Why is this happening? And it's because, you know, Uber cheated. Uber has a very long history of cheating. I mentioned it on the podcast before how in Portland they basically strong armed their way into the driver uh, market there, where they just did it legally. You know, uh, they they said fuck fucking find me bro find me you know and they tried and did and they did it anyway you know yeah i mean a lot of these companies when they act in certain ways especially as private while they're still private you know they can just get do what's called a capital call and they call their private investors and they get more money i mean robin hood had this exact thing robin hood has not gone public yet and when it had all these issues with the GameStop stuff and it 
had issues with clearinghouse and there were capital minimum requirements that it was asking for. They just called their investors and they got a billion dollars in, in 24 hours and they got $2 billion three days later. And they can just, a lot of these firms don't really care that much about profit and overall revenues. What, what they care about is valuation to private investors, growth potential, mm -hmm. and really just who their private backers are. And yeah. that is currency in this economy is who are your private backers and how much money do they expect you to make? And what do they expect your business model to be um, and, and how they expect it to operate? And if it has some sort of fintech aspect to it, if it has as few employees as possible, those things will be highly valued. And I mean, the GameStop thing was trying to upend that logic was saying, fuck this. We want brick and mortar. We want actual employees. We want them to actually sell goods and services. And even though it's offer, it's selling at a dollar, GameStop makes more money than Uber does. It's like, so there is, for those who, people who believe in the commodification and private ownership of companies and there's, you know, under capitalism and stuff, there is a logic to those being more successful than Uber. And yet Uber is considered yeah. one of the most successful tech companies around. Yeah, it's a, it is the continued and persistent lie. The, the idea that if we just ignore, you know, the leak that's coming through the ceiling, you know, for long enough, it'll stop being a leak, you know, yeah. or if we, if we ignore that pain in our joints or whatever, oh, no, no, it'll just go away. But ultimately, something isn't right, you know, and I am not entirely sure of the financials of Uber. It could potentially be a successful company at some point in terms of like not successful i mean they are successful but like it could be a profitable <laughs> company at some point and maybe that means a couple things maybe that means wildly downsizing their marketing team maybe that means changing their it's so their ceo uh who funny enough uh is one of those like odd guys who was like um part of the uh iranian revolution or the uh, Iranian Revolution part in 1979 and had to flee from Iran because like his you know family's stuff was reappropriated you know which is very funny oh he was uh, on the, he was on the Shah side of it yeah 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 yeah, oh, yeah. so that they're, they always are they always are they always are they always are it's really funny it's my really family, funny my yeah my family uh it's like my family was oppressed by the communists we used to own all the eggs in china and then they stole my <laughs> it's like that uh, yeah. yeah yeah whether it is reappropriating some of his uh you know money maybe it is what you know they they always like threaten when it's like oh we have to have less drivers maybe that's it maybe they just add less availability in terms of like what restaurants can be ordered from but as it is you know, these companies, they really, they just want their cake and to eat. They want to eat their cake and what? Have their cake and eat it too? Whatever. Eat their have, cake and eat it too. I don't know. Yeah. They they want two servings of, of cake. delicious cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just, uh, you can't right, right now, right now you can't because, and the only reason they are, you know, persisting is just based off of a perceived future market share 
where they own everything in the same way that Amazon does, you know? Right. Uh, and they still don't. It's still they still don't. I mean, that's kind of what's yeah. kind of what's amazing about this is everyone still sees Silicon Valley companies as a startup. There's still kind of a perception internally that these companies are still startups, that these companies are still um, in their infancy. And that is in part, I think, driven by uh, what is the venture capital world and how venture capital mm -hmm. has such a strong influence on the culture of Silicon Valley itself and how people kowtow to venture capital a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, Danny, I, I know we were going to talk about something else quickly, but I think maybe this is a good transition to move into our space conversation, our SPACs conversation. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this next thing is getting into the weeds, but it's important because this is a part of the economy that has really drastically changed in the past. So capitalism works like this. You have a private company, you get money from investors, something like that, and you then decide once you get big enough, you want to make, you want to cash out a little bit, you want to get some more money to do further investments, you're ready. You want to have a big entryway. You have what's called an IPO, initial public offering, because you want to go public. That's right. You want to be a public yeah. company, okay? And this uh, has changed because there have been rules over the decades, but especially under the, uh, the, the Trump SEC and the Treasury Department to disincentivize public markets, okay? When you are a publicly traded company, Anyone can buy shares in your company. You know, you can be a Redditor. You can be, uh, you know, just some normal person. Or you can be a mutual fund, someone's retirement plan, someone's pension. Uh, or, or, you know, a hedge fund. You know, can buy shares of Amazon or whatever. Anyone can buy it, right? And the, that is the idea, is that once you're a shareholder, you have a say. And that's going to allegedly drive up more money for these companies. Uber and Lyft are already publicly owned company publicly owned and traded companies and that's why they have to have their earnings reports and all this sort of stuff and so this is a new phenomenon or something that's really changed which is called the creation of or the really the the growth of this sector is called they're called special purpose acquisition companies SPACs and a SPAC is designed to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to kind of buy a company and then take it public for the for yeah. the private shareholders themselves. Okay, so instead of having a robust, open public offering where the, anyone can buy shares and stuff like that, a company will instead get acquired by a SPAC, and the SPAC will take it public. Okay, so this is private investors who do the going public thing for them. And the entire idea is that they'll make a little bit of money. You're going to have some sophisticated people who are investors in the SPAC, and they are going to be the initial purchasers of the company, and they're going to help curate it into the public sector. Uh, 2020 was uh, a, what's, alleged, you know, what's called, being called a breakout year for SPACs. 50% of U.S. initial public offerings were done through SPACs, 50%. Wow. Okay? So to give you some numbers on that, 
right? In uh, in 2019, so SPACs have been around for a while. They've been around since the early 2000s. In 2003, there were the total number of IPOs were 127, and there was only one SPAC in 2003. In 2018, there were 225 IPOs. 46 mm-hmm. of them were done through SPACs. In 2019, 213 total IPOs, 59 done through SPACs. In yeah. 2020, there were 450 IPOs. Huge Whoa. number. Huge number of total IPOs. 248 of them were done through SPACs. Yeah, so we're talking about like more or getting close to 60, 65% of them just being done by this. This one was 2020 was 55%. So far in 2021, okay, we are, it's 2021, it's only, we're early February, there have already been 190 IPOs so far. I don't know. Whoa. 144 of them have been through SPACs. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> 76%, okay, uh, have, been, have been through SPACs, which well, is Well, my, my question... My my question in this case, then, David, is, uh, or or my guess at this point is like, okay, you're telling me this thing exists that is specifically designed to uh, send things to initial public offering. What does initial public offering do? It gets an influx of capital real fast. All right, right. So my and the so shareholders, que- the shareholders get money on the other side. It's a you know. Yeah, yes. So my question is is how much of this is a a how much of this is charading as a pump and dump private equity thing where they're just like we're trying we're going to we're going to get a bunch bunch of money and then we're going to get to get the money out of there and leave this company a shell of what it was essentially. I think that that's a good question because I in private equity is an apt analogy. Uh there have been, uh, so this is from Yahoo Finance. Uh, it looks like uh, their SPAC IPO returns are stable, okay? the okay. Basically, what people are saying is that the appeal of SPACs to the investor is that the downside is limited in all market conditions as the investors wait for a SPAC transaction to be announced. Uh, that's from uh, someone who is... Uh, a, a, a SPACs industry person. I mean, this is a person who's speaking about their industry. This is for as this website called SPAC Analytics that does the tracks the creation of SPACs. Tracks the SPACs. Ugh. It sounds like it sounds like a composite like wood that gets used for your deck. Yeah, you got to use SPACs. <laughs> All right, it's gonna be better than oak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it is a fascinating. I think that private equity is a good. Um, analogy to it. So recent SPAC IPO returns are stable. That's from Yahoo Finance. They say top performing SPACs show impressive returns. Okay, uh, but there's a lot to go through still. Okay, so some of the top SPACs in history that have happened are firms like DraftKings, Virgin Galactic. Uh, these were. Uh, let's see what else. Open Door. What else? Is oh, wait. Tattoo what is, Chef. What is, Tattoo Chef, if you know that one. I don't know that one, but that one sounds kind of interesting. Uh, there's a few. Uh, Fusion Fuel. This is, I don't know. Uh, these are all some very 
high-performing SPACs. Recent SPACs, uh, I don't know any of these, but there's a huge number of companies that are going public through SPACs. If a SPAC is basically designed to get a mm, public, uh, a company going public, and their entire purpose is to do that, and they're acquiring this company in some way, then, like, how do the CEOs feel about this? Like, what happens when you're a CEO who's just sort of, like, ambivalent to it, and then you get your company, like, bought out in some way? Because, like, it's weird because it does feel, like, unnatural in a way. Because, like, if you really want to play, again, I, I always say this, but you, if you really want to play the capitalism game or, like, whatever, or rather the American capitalism game, you know, the the idyllic picture that somebody, you know, comes into their head is, like, something where it's, like, oh, you know, two brothers, they found a way to make a dick-sucking factory that was twice as efficient as right. the, 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 the other dick-sucking factory, you know? And they they work hard and they 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 really get productivity up to a high and then through the the muster of their own will they eventually come to the uh the decision to take their company public and and etc cetera, etc cetera. but the whole SPACs situation seems like a situation where they're like well our entire job is to bring companies public so are there companies that are like no we don't want to be public or this is a bad idea for us to do it, but they just do it anyway. Well, it's become very popular because they're being told that these SPACs are giving them better returns. Uh, there is some research that SPACs have done well. Uh, historically, SPACs have not performed all that well. Uh, the companies that are t- taken public through SPACs are found to have lost about 3% a year compared to the mm-hmm. market. Uh, this is from 2007, though. That's a little old. Uh the average performance of IPOs, normal IPOs, is not that hot either, right? But because IPOs tend to underperform in the first market, their first uh, underperform the market in their their first year. Uh, that's from some research for going back decades, and that is generally true. First year that you're going public, you're not going to do as well because you just it's your first year going public. But the same research from uh, found that SPAC managers do incredibly well from the transactions given they typically receive shares at discount prices while investors may lose money. SPAC managers can accumulate substantial wealth via the SPAC process even if shareholders don't see gains, okay, depending on the terms of the deal. That means is I think that while you brought up private equity, I think that that's a very astute metaphor because private equity buys a company, restructures it, sells it, makes money either way on fees, okay? SPAC managers are kind of like private equity but on the, uh, on the other side. They are, they are there to uh, get some shares, get the company ready just for going public through their gestational period, and they're going to make a bunch of money either way regardless of its returns because of the terms of the deal allow them to do so. And what they're kind of trying to do is to brokerage the going public process they're saying go public through us we will curate and intermediate your going public and we will do it better because we are sophisticated private investors and we know how to navigate these waters better 
Yeah, they're they're like, no, 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 no. You don't. Uh, yeah, you're just. You're just gonna fuck it up. Let me do it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And so, like the same thing with private equity is like you don't need to hire consultants. You don't need to change leadership. You don't need to do change your business model. Get us to take over for you. We're gonna collect two and twenty fees, and we're going to completely rework this. We're gonna introduce some fintech. We're gonna lay off some employees, and we're gonna resell it before anyone knows any better that we just destroyed your core business model. And it's kind of a similar thing, and and it's hard to say whether SPACs have really like reaped the benefits, but the fact that they've grown so much in the past two years is astonishing. I mean, it's a huge, huge change in how our core, the core like small d democracy of capitalism is supposed to work, and which is that shareholders have anyone can buy shares. And the going public process is supposed to kind of run you through the gamut as to whether people like you or not. Yes, yes, yeah. Y- y- I that is the key phrase here, because and I think that's sort of what I was like low key, low key getting at because it is it is one of those things where nobody's asking the question: Do people give a shit about this company? like what it, what are what are people's actual involvement and, and i think the best example of that actually what it, it w- which didn't even go public and i we've mentioned it many times but was we work like that was a huge example right. of like investor confidence because their whole rollout was was just you know littered with like ridiculous uh, what there's like a what's it it's like an L1 or an S1 I think it's an S1 like that's the one where they say like this is how much you know we're worth or this is how much we want to be and their S1 was just like an absolute nightmare where it's just sort of like our assets are being very happy you know like oh, that yeah. way oh and yeah. the the um the wife of the CEO like talked about veganism in the S1 for and like had pictures yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. Stuff. yeah 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 I remember that Exactly. Exactly. And and when people saw that and investors saw that, they were like, oh, no, (laughs) this is fuck. This is stupid. You know, but but imagine if that was being handled more by like a like a like a SPAC in this case, or it was a lot of those rough edges were like smoothed out. Like there's like a very good chance that like that company would be in a very different position. And you'd have people who are like, wait a minute, we didn't realize that this was this essentially you know right and and it's it's it is sort of this like darwinism effect where it's just like no you let the company figure it out and do their thing and whatever they do is is like just sort of on them right essentially and that's kind of what the whole purpose of of a a publicly traded company is supposed to be it's really like the further ownership of private markets of, of, of private investors over public markets is becoming a very disturbing trend for whether you are a capitalist or something else it is still is obvious that there is less public investment literally less public ownership less publicly traded disclosures less all of these sorts of things uh within capitalism because of you have venture capital arbitrarily sometimes chooses which companies are going to be better, which ones won't be. Uh, yeah. Rather than consumer demand. 
You have mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. a SPAC, which will help them go public, which will intermediate the going public process to facilitate that. So the consumer and shareholder kind of uh, you know, demand response is mitigated and ultimately muted in whether something is successful or not. Meanwhile, these private managers, these private investors are securing even more fees. And then when the company's public, allegedly, then it, um, it can just, if it's not doing well, it hires a private equity firm to help facilitate its uh, pivot, its pivot to video. <laughs> um, where it's, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's pivot to, you know, data. It's pivot to something that is going to help kind of cut labor costs, increase tech, and uh, they're going to collect fees for that process as well, or they're just going to shut it down and they'll collect fees. So you could see mm-hmm. a company going through the entire gestational process and the entire development and death process and be effectively owned by private investors and facilitated by private investors the entire time, even though they are technically walking through these public uh, spaces. What I think of, it reminds me of is charter schools, which is charter schools effectively are allegedly public schools, but they are driven by and controlled by private owners. And they have an entirely different curriculum. They can raise private, they have private fundraisers. They have a totally different business model. Literally, they can make profits and use that to open up new schools. Um, yes. But yeah. they are ostensibly public because they're receiving public funds. But the entire thing can be curated by private investors and by private owners. <laughs> and so, does that make more sense? No, it does. It does. It does because. It's say, it's saying it's saying like no we're a school like this is this thing everybody wanted this right. everybody loves teachers everybody loves schools but when you get down to the um actual like nuts and bolts of like what is this business what is this thing it's not a school it's something completely different you know um and it's like, it, it's, it, I think it's a good analogy because my first thing was to think like, oh, it's like for-profit colleges. But it's like, no, for-profit colleges on their face, they're kind of evil. They're like their own little funny little Ponzi scheme on their own. Right. Thing. But like a, a, a charter um, schools have st- is ostensibly public. It is, it, yeah. it is ostensibly yeah. Yeah. public, but they don't have the same requirements that an actual public school has. An actual public school has to, you know, be respondent to the state curriculum in a way and like directly like have and have uh, be managed in the same way that everyone else in the state is same rules. They have to Mm -hmm. accept Mm -hmm. every student in their jurisdiction. Okay. Charter schools do not chart. So this is a a, almost exact analogy because they, a, a private firm can juke the stats. Their returns do not have to be disclosed in any like verifiable uh perfectly like comparable way that like a public company does a public company has to report these specific numbers at the, between these specific time periods it cannot move things around and manipulate its numbers to say oh this is actually not a labor cost this is actually a liability or whatever to make it look like they made more profits than they did or something like that they have to report yeah. the things that they have in the specific period of time they have to be public and that anyone can buy and sell them. They are subject to certain market manipulation and fraud rules as a publicly mm-hmm. traded company. Whereas if you're going through a SPAC, 
um, you know, I'm not sure that that is the same thing, that they have to follow those same rules. Certainly, if you're a private company, you don't. And this is kind of trying to create a charter school, this like weird hybrid model of going public in order to kind of further bleed in the private investment sector into the public sector and further deteriorating people's confidence in the in the private or in the public sectors you know you, you know i you're reminding me again it, this just kind of comes back to uber in my in my head yeah and you know let me know if i'm a little off base with this but like you know one of the big uh controversies in uber's history was their founder you know ceo travis kalanick you know mm -hmm. And his whole thing was that he was, I mean, like, first and foremost, he was just kind of an asshole. But, you know, for better or for worse for him, you know, he was exposed. He, and, not, and I don't mean like they exposed him. Like he was, he was the face. Right. He was the face of a thing. So, you know, people, when they invested in Uber or they, or like if they had their private equity looking into Uber, their thing was just like, look, this, this thing, this guy. He's out in front. We know what's going on with this guy because he's, at the very least, a, a kind of unstable. You know, like, mm -hmm. he's just out there. And, again, it's just like letting the capitalism robot play through and be real laissez-faire about it. It's like, yeah, this thing makes money, but it's unstable and strange and, and, and very precarious, essentially. And in a weird way, that is a good thing because it's very truthful there's it's not really trying to hide anything there's no glossing over of what the situation is but when you have these specific industries that their whole idea is to be like let us let us make this let us make this easier let us let us transition this pr process for you it just um it feels unnatural it doesn't yeah. feel it, it and at the very, very least, it is just kind of, um, it's just another middleman getting here's, in the way. Here's, you a, know? Here, here's a, a more biological analogy. It's like taking, it's like doping, kind of. You know? A little bit, yeah. It's a little, yeah. A little bit like doping. So, okay, anyways. And, and the thing is, um, publicly traded companies have some forms of accountability, right? Like, if we're thinking about, like, in criticizing, capitalism or whatever you have like the purely privately owned privately operated zero accountability entities you know a privately traded firm okay you have like monarchies dictatorships these are like solely privately held no accountability complete impunity to do whatever they want in certain ways right um yes you have publicly traded companies which in theory are kind of like a small d democracy there is a separation of power between management and ownership and ownership can be uh, vastly different depending on how much wealth you have. And ownership can be a huge amount of money by a private investor, but they're not going to get the whole thing. And there's some democracy in that, actually. A shareholder has a yeah. little bit of democracy. And this is a story that came out a couple weeks ago. Um, so it's a little old. But it's from Newsweek and the Daily Poster. And this is kind of showing the possibilities of what that small d democracy can and can't do uh this is uh basically there was a lot of the COVID 19 
uh, vaccine manufacturers have are publicly traded companies. Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer are two of them. Uh, they, the government awarded ten billion dollars in contracts and advanced purchase commitments to drug companies working on COVID nineteen stuff. As they, you know, if you're going to have a privately traded, uh, you know, biopharma research facility coming up with this, yeah, of course you're going to. We need to get this stuff out as soon as possible. And uh, it did not require the recipients of the money to agree to offer their products at fair prices or share intellectual property rights to enable faster production. And now there are shareholders, and there's all these, there's an entire little cottage industry of nonprofits who are all about shareholder activism. And they have these resolutions, these voting resolutions, as publicly traded companies to require the company to do certain things. So you get this a lot with like divestment. It's a really big thing with like, it was a big deal in the anti-apartheid movement. It was, it's a reasonably big deal in the Israeli occupation. It's a mm-hmm. big deal in climate change. It's a huge deal in climate change now. And now there are some shareholder, there are these kind of um, shareholder activists. Uh, one of them is called the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility. They're not quite a religious organization, but historically they're religious, to try to ask these two companies to inform their shareholders how, quote, receipt of public financial support for development and manufacture of products for COVID-19 is being or will be taken into account when making decisions that affect access to such products, such as setting prices. And these companies are filing for an exemption from the Securities and Exchange Commission to ask them, to ask the SEC to say, hey, can we not do this? <laughs> we- hey, um, actually, we don't want to completely follow the rules. Not We want to we wanna jazz up these rules, kind of <laughs> give them a new, <laughs> give them a new fun little uh, f- uh, fade Creative on their... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they, they don't want to tell their shareholders what they're doing with the public money. And the whole idea is that if you're going to have a public money that is, you know, going towards the public good, shareholders have the right as members of the public to demand accountability in certain respects. And that you sometimes that's just disclosures. Sometimes that's asking them to, you know, do something different. And sometimes it's has more power than others. Uh, but they asked the, uh, these companies in their shareholder resolutions to say, hey, what are you doing with the money from the government that affects your prices? Are you using that government money and still jacking up the prices? Are you using that government money and still holding on to your IP so other drug makers can't manufacture the vaccine? The entire idea being, if you're getting public money, then you should not be profiteering off of it. I'm looking up this thing right now, actually, because it's uh, we're talking about a thing that is very financialized and it's very specific feeling and, and what have you. And it, it, it can feel uh, unrelated, unrelatable in that way. It can feel weird and distant. Like, how does this affect me? And what David just mentioned is, you know, talking about the vaccinations and the, for for the coronavirus vaccine company. Yeah, essentially. And. You think, oh, well, that process is happening. It is being kind of mismanaged and all that 
all that jazz and whatever and it's it's messing stuff up you know it's mm-hmm. it's but that's just how those things happen this is how this has to happen but it literally doesn't have to happen like this and i mentioned that because as i think a couple people have seen in recent uh recent history and recent stories this is not the first time there's been a mass vaccination event and in the 1940s 1947 specifically there was uh, a small a, a smallpox case that happened in Manhattan, and there was a potential for actual outbreak of smallpox in Manhattan to happen. And what happened is they vaccinated over six million people in one month. That you know, sixty seventy years ago, they just did that. They just that you know. It, there was probably bureaucracy behind it. There was probably middlemen to it. But overall, the impetus was just sort of like, no, this has to stop. This yeah. has to stop this. And we're not going to let this gigantic corporation's profits or own internal bureaucracy get in the way of this. We're just going to do it right. because it's for the it's it's for a actual public good. Right. You know, and, and so the and, gov- so it's like the government has an incentive now in this kind of neoliberal era to sell off parts of the government function to private folks to do their job for them, basically. And yeah. So, and when that yeah. hap- and when that happens, the question is, is it a publicly traded company that's doing it? And if it is, then there's still some methods of accountability to the shareholders in order to get it done. And if it's not, then you're really going to run into trouble. This is from a, uh, from a couple of weeks ago, or like a, a month ago. There was that story. I don't have all the details in front of me, but of that 22-year-old business student from Philly who just convinced the city government to give him coronavirus vaccines for distribution, and he just bungled the whole <laughs> thing, gave yeah. a vaccine to his girlfriend, and ran away with the money and yep it is ludicrous that they're just letting that happen because they think it's allegedly cheaper meanwhile you have uh some of the countries that have some of the highest vaccine rollout rates are the uk and israel uh to their citizens that's another conversation and but israel is now close to like 60 percent of its of israeli citizens have the vaccine or something like mm-hmm. that the uk it's they're doing really well. And from what I understand, at least in the UK example, they are refusing to outsource their distribution to other people. They are taking on the extra labor costs to pay to get the job done. And it's doing yeah, to, do, to actually do it. <laughs> job. It's doing a better <laughs> job. Yeah, it, it is. Done. And it's allegedly cheaper to go through these uh, intermediaries, to go through these financial capitalist intermediaries whatever who are going to offer you a cheaper price don't have to do as much infrastructure and logistics work let the let the private capitalists do it but what that ends up doing is it just works it doesn't work as well and there is more paperwork and few it go it moves slower because the profit motive gets in the way of efficient allocation of a vaccine it always will that oh it's just like it, it case closed it's like you can't get ahead of it yeah. you can't get ahead of it Absolutely. get ahead of it because it, that's always going to be there in the and 
and that is that's the barest problem there is just the profit motivation all the others then then that's that's your baseline problem from there you get all sorts of stupid shit happening that's when you get that's how you get an andrew cuomo figure who's like no you don't understand i have to administer all the vaccines myself because i'm a dumb (laughs) shit you know like you that's where you get real that's where you get actually malicious bad figures who come out and, and they're not they're not the base of it they are the extension of it they are what it can turn into, but at its very base, at the at the very base of the problem is how does this make money for other people first right. before saving people's lives, essentially. Right. Absolutely. And it's just, and, and yeah. to think back on the other subject matters we discussed, how does this make money for the private investors before you're talking about the good of the company? Private equity is yeah. the same thing. SPACs, I am suspicious that they are can be operated in the same way, which is how does the private investor who uh, or the private stakeholder in the private equity firm or in the SPAC make money out of this versus how does the company operate? How is it going yeah. to turn around? How is it going to be for its workers, for its consumers, and for the greater global world that it is surrounded by? And I know it's weird to make comparisons between a publicly traded company and the government, and it's not accurate. It's not perfect. Um, and there's obviously like you recognize we must recognize the inconsistencies and acknowledge them, but mm-hmm. you see the overlap when there is a, a symptom of this country is that we see people with a lot of money, we see people with a lot of success, we presume they have expertise when really they have profit yeah. motive. Yeah, yeah, they don't have expertise actually. They have profit motive, and we conflate intelligence with financial success all the time people think someone mm-hmm. is good someone is virtuous someone is smart someone is skillful because they have money and ultimately that's just not true and that's not how yeah. capitalism is supposed to work frankly if you think about it in kind of a you know competitive democracy kind of a thing and that's not how our government is supposed to work mm-hmm. yeah it's, and people uh, just get lied to. People just get scammed. People get scammed thinking that it's a profit. Or people thinking that. Uh, anyways, I'm repeating myself. So go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, uh, I, I. Uh, maybe this isn't the exact perfect analogy, but my my whole oh, my whole thing is always just like, uh, you know, I always think about the Supreme Court and lawyers and law in this case because whenever they appoint a new Supreme Court justice, their whole thing is like, oh my god, oh my god. Look at this person. Look at this person. Look at their background. They've got oh, they've been a lawyer for this. They clerked. They did all oh my gosh, they did all this. Blah, 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 blah. And um, you know, I think there is a certain expertise that goes into being a Supreme Court justice, but at the same time, and I I, I only know this because my friend Carrie, my best friend, like re, you know, she, she took like the LSAT, she did all that stuff, and she recently graduated from law school like when i when i yeah when i like talked to her like what was it like taking the the lsat she's like well it's a lot of logic questions and i'm like what and because like in my head i'm like oh they're going to be asking you about like precedent or some weird shit like that or like esoteric esoteric laws it's like no it's just all logic questions like does this equal this and does this equal that you know in that way how clever and exactly how clever are you and that 
that's the that's that's the the grift is that like you we've all been we've all been tricked into thinking like oh you need to be like th- this expertise this technocracy is is going to help you in the end but the, the we we're, we're not we're not even answering the basic question is like does a equal b if b equal c first and it's like if you're a person who's able to do that like i'm going with that person i'm choosing the person who can solve problems and is sort of you know i hate this word but like pragmatic about it and is not going to like think about all those other things and um yeah i just think uh we've we've been sold a bill of false goods when it thinks when it comes to like all of these private companies are inherently going to do stuff better it's like no strip it bare answer the basic question can they do this and can they do it more efficiently than this other company right. again this is all excessive because i think there should probably just be full communism first <laughs> <laughs> but if you again if you're going to if you're going to play by their rules that's the rules they're not even answering so all right well this has been a this has been good i'm feeling good this is good this is good i feel you know what i don't for, i want to tell you guys right now listening i don't feel sad i don't feel <laughs> down to the dumps down to the dumps about this i feel enlightened all right i feel smart about this yes yeah this this, all, this feels right we're gonna all ace our lsats and be happy uh yeah i um i don't know i don't know what we do about this i think that we need to uh drastically be rethinking uh our priorities guys i don't know what that's just what a dumb fucking sentence um <laughs> i don't know man this has been ponzi scream I, I'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm, i don't know i'm david my name is Gabe, and nice. I'm here to. <laughs> First, David was Gabe. Now, now I'm Gabe. Uh, uh, well, uh, welcome to the end of the show. I uh, hope you have a good one. Take care, guys. We will see you later. Bye bye.